know, Easter is always kind of an interesting day, Chris, Christmas too, um, when we have worship services, because I know that we have different people here. We have some people who are, who are here, and by the way, let me just say up front, you're all welcome to be here, and you're welcome to be here on more than Christmas and Easter. But we have some people here who are just here out of courtesy, maybe to grandma, grandpa, mom, dad. Um, and, but in, in honesty, they don't really believe in God. They don't really believe in any God. Uh, they've kind of accepted what's becoming more and more this kind of dominant view. It's not a new view. There's always been people who didn't believe in God or gods, by the way. Um, it's not new, but it's just kind of growing. It's becoming more popular to talk about. You know, and, and maybe you're just like, you're like the super uber intellectual atheist. You're the one that, that doesn't believe in God because you, you know, you've read some things, you've carefully considered things, you really thought about it. Um, some of you, you're kind of the lazy atheist. You don't really believe in God, but you haven't really tried to check anything out. If you're more on the intellectual side, you know, you, you, might, have, you, know, you might be buying into this, this, inc this increasing um, thought in our culture, which is religion was for when we were kind of primitive people. You know, and as we've developed as human beings, we no longer need religion, we no longer need a belief in God or gods. And in fact, what religion really is, is this kind of wish fulfillment. It's something we wish would happen, and so we create a belief system around it. But in truth, there's only this world, this natural world. For if you're in that camp, if you're in the kind of more very thoughtful atheist camp, and you think that you know, your, your understanding is religion was something for when we were more immature as human beings and now that we've kind of grown up, we don't need that kind of belief anymore. And it's kind of tied to that wish fulfillment. As we talk this morning about what real Christianity is, which sadly a lot of people don't know because it's not really like proclaimed out there or expressed out there. But as we talk today about what real Christianity is, I want this thought to be, you know, something you're thinking of, is this question, would, would we make up this kind of God? Would we make up this kind of faith? We already sang some of these things this morning, and maybe you got it when we were singing it, but maybe not. But do you would think, like, if we were really wishing for something to be true, is this the kind of God we would make up? And let me just tell you, too, you know, the, one of the problems, and, and, and it's not just, you know, people who are Christians that are mentioning this or people who are faith, but even people who have, like, thoroughly immersed in there is no God kind of understanding, that, like, one of the issues that, that we know that's, that we're struggling with, because maybe that's you, but you're okay with it. You know, you're good. You know, you've kind of figured out life. Life's pretty stable. You've made your way. You've got a good family, good job, and all of that. But here's the problem. The problem is that, is that there is an epidemic happening right before us. This epidemic is happening right before us. And it's not just in our culture, but I'm just going to talk about our culture. There's this epidemic that's happening, and people don't know what to do about it. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about the flu. I shared some statistics a couple of weeks ago when I was, when I was preaching. And this, these are the statistics. Teenage girls to about the age of 25 in the past year, 
30% of them seriously contemplated suicide. You understand? 30%. On top of that, the same group, the same group, 57% have said in the past year they have been seriously depressed. And you might think like, oh, well, hasn't that always, aren't, aren't teenagers always kind of moody? No. This doesn't, this doesn't line up with anything we've ever seen in culture before, except that it's growing exponentially. And people don't know what to do, because if you say everything was, began as some sort of cosmic accident, there's no God or gods behind it, and that everything someday will end with another kind of cosmic accident, how can you tell somebody who's feeling depressed why they should care? And some of these are people that, are, that have really thought about it. They're like, why should I care? If you tell people there is no absolute truth, there is no absolute right or wrong, it's life is whatever you want to make it, you know, it, right and wrong is whatever you want to make it, what happens when someone gets to the point of such despair that they don't want to make it anything. It's a problem. And even though you might be okay, this is telling us that one in every three young women today, and this is only study, only look at women, I'm sure young men have similar issues, but one in three have seriously considered suicide. You see, if, if life is really what you make it, if life is all about your happiness, there's no real absolute anything. What happens when life gets too hard? What happens when, when all the people who support you and love you have somehow gone away? There's another group here. There's the group that and it's probably the biggest group. This is the group that still believes in God. As a matter of fact, all the surveys of, of the United States population says still the majority of people believe in some sort of God. And this includes, by the way, people who consider themselves Christians, and it could very well include people who are members of this church. And in this group, you believe there's some kind of God. There's this kind of God, kind of vague, ambiguous God, and what kind of happens, even though you don't consciously think you're doing it, but you're kind of doing the Mr. Potato Head God. You're kind of building your own God. You got the vague idea that he looks like a potato, but you know, you're gonna dress him up differently. And there's a lot of people who are kind of caught up in this. But let me just tell you, if you're caught up in the vague, ambiguous God, that you can kind of just make him be what you want him to be, the question I wanna ask you is, who really is God here? the God you're believing in, or you, because you're the one making that God up. Usually when we get into this vague, ambiguous, build my own God, we usually want a God who will do a couple things. One is he will like secure my happiness. He's gonna make sure that 
I'm happy, when, when I'm sad, he's going to make sure I'm happy, um, you know, or my family's happy, and he's also going to protect me. So I really want God to do just those two things. Give me a happy life and keep me safe. I want you to, as we go through the scriptures today and we look at what, Christian, what Christianity says that God is and that God does, I want you to also not be thinking, it's not the God we would make up, but this is not the God you would make up. The God that we find in Scripture is not just obsessed with our happiness or our protection. He has a bigger plan. And then kind of the third group that, that, that might be here that kind of morphs with the second group sometime, and that's kind of like the person who, who believes in God and believes in kind of the Bible God, but still wants to build their own. You know, they, they might add to protect and happiness that this God wants us to, to try hard and to do good, that wants us to kind of care for others. But that's kind of about the extent of it. Usually, if you find yourself in this group, you don't really want to think about or talk about concepts of things like sin or judgment. Anything that kind of goes against my own personal happiness, my own personal fulfillment. By the way, of these, of these different concepts of, you know, that people have towards God, all of them are somehow fulfilling this wish fulfillment. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you, can, you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, but you're kind of in this third group, you know, for you today, I want you to be listening for what the Bible teaches us about what you say you believe. And then you need to ask yourself, is my life reflecting this gospel? You know, and then of course there's the other group, and that's the group that, that knows new life in Christ, that has just dived in fully into what it means to be a follower of Christ and, and is, you know, engaged, if not at this church, at another church where, they're, where they're, they're part of a community and they're growing in their faith. And for you, hey, you know, I hope as we're talking today, there's, you're going to grow and you're going to learn, but I also hope that you smile a lot because this is our salvation. And by the way, if you find yourself in one of these groups, I'm not blaming you. There's a lot of reasons for it. Part of it is that there's a lot of bad examples of Christians out there. I'm sure in a lot of people's lives, I've been a bad example of a Christian. I think sometimes, you know, immature Christians make mistakes. And then, you know, that's like the impression people have of Christianity. Other times we have these guys, and unfortunately they usually have lots of money and they can be on TV, but they're kind of like these people that use the Christian name to take advantage of others. Of course, if you watch, you know, TV, and, well, I, TV dates me, if you stream things, um, you know, you see a lot of times if Christians are portrayed at all, they're usually portrayed as negative, judgmental, you know, there's, they've got, you know, hypocritical that's what we see. And another part of it is something I don't think we always think about. The reason we don't understand really 
who Christians are and what Christianity is, is when a Christian is really Christian, they're humble. They're not going to walk around with a shirt on saying, look at how Christ-like I am, or pay attention to my kindness because it's awesome, because it comes from Jesus. They're not going to say that. They're just going to be kind. They're just going to be helpful. They're just going to be servant-hearted. And so there's a lot of confusion out there. And part of this morning is to say, let's cut through all of this. And let's see, what does the Bible actually say Jesus Christ accomplished? And what it means to be a follower of Christ. So before I get to the positive, let me go through just a couple of negative things. Christianity is not this. Christianity is not a moral or ethical code. It is not a moral ethical code. You can't compare Christian moralism with other religious moralisms and say, okay, that's, you know, they're, they're all the same. And we're going to talk about why you can't do that. It doesn't mean that Christianity doesn't talk about what is right and what is good. But it's not about us trying to keep a moral or ethical code. Christianity is not based on how hard we work or how much we give, how much we sacrifice. Again, we're going to talk more about this in a minute. But there is nothing that when we read the Bible and we understand the Bible, one of the conclusions we come to that's very clear and very true is there is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Nothing. It's impossible. It's not based on how long you pray. It's not based on you know, whether you fast. It's not based on you know, how much you give, how much you sacrifice. See, those are the kind of religions human beings would make up. They're not the kind of religion that we find in Scripture. The third thing, Christianity is not some kind of deal with God. It's not a deal with Him that, hey, God, I'm going to join your team and you're going to take care of me, right? It's not that. And Christianity is not some kind of blind, almost superstitious faith, more concerned about what happens after we die than what actually is occurring in this world. That's what Christianity is not. Let's look at this part of Scripture and see how Paul the Apostle tells us what Christianity is. In Romans chapter 5, just this little section here, 11 verses, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul is writing this letter, and it's this pretty long letter. It's, it's his longest letter that we have in, in the Bible. And again, it's written about 2,000 years ago. Paul's considered like probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. He did more than certainly more than any of us at, at, a, at a really crucial time. And if you know Paul's story, he starts out as a very devout like a Jewish person in that time. He's, he's even become a Pharisee, which is, is like a religious leader. That, and they were known for their, their piety and their following of, of God's law. But he encounters Jesus Christ and he encounters Jesus Christ in this miraculous way. And he's transformed. He's never the same. He suddenly still is thoroughly Jewish. And he still believes everything that, that he had learned and taught. But now he understands it in full. He understands that the law was never meant to be outside of us. That we follow this code. That the law was meant to be written on our hearts. And he understands it. And he understands that that came to him not because he was smart, not because he earned it, not because he really thought about it, not because he, he went on some like 30-day fast and, you know, had this vision. No. He understands it because when, when Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus, all Paul does in his human weakness, is say, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's faith. It's it. I know who you are, Jesus. I don't know anything else. I only know who you are, I believe. And what Paul knows is everything else changed. Everything else changed from that standpoint. He, he was still the same guy, but everything was different. See, because when Jesus encountered Paul, Paul on the way was going to this place called Damascus. He was going there because he hated the Christians. He was going there because he saw his Jewish brothers and sisters kind of embracing this weird new faith. And he was hunting them down. He had actually gone above and beyond what anybody said um, you know, anybody else was doing, and he said, look, I don't just want to take care of these guys in Jerusalem. Give me permission, and I'm going to go on the road. I'm going to hunt these guys down. He's full of hate. He's full of bitterness, but it's kind of mixed in with this righteousness. But when Jesus comes, it all goes away. The bitterness is gone. The hatred is gone. And he understands for the first time 
what God's love is. He understands for the first time that God's love had been written in all of the law that he had understood before. He somehow missed it, but not anymore. And it wasn't an understanding, Paul tells us this, it wasn't an understanding that, that he came to through careful study. It's an understanding that came to him in a flash. He calls it a revelation. Amazing. And so Paul is writing this letter to this church, and he doesn't really know the people in the church, but he, he, he knows some people there, and he talks about how he wants to go visit them. But he wants to write to them and explain more fully all the things that he would teach about the gospel. And this particular section, chapter 5, chapter 5, there's four chapters that lead up to chapter 5. These four chapters, Paul's doing this where he's, he's, he's explaining, first of all, how we got into the problem we got into that we needed to be saved from. And he talks about how God had revealed himself. He had created everything and he revealed himself clearly. But humanity said, no, we reject you. We're not going to follow you. We're not going to do things your way. And humanity moved away. But for some strange reason, humanity said, even though we rejected the one true God, we still want gods. So they made their own. They made their own gods. And they made their own gods out of stuff. And he says, what does God do? In chapter 1, it talks about the wrath of God. You hear the wrath of God. If you're a Star Trek fan, you think about the wrath of Khan. You know, the wrath of God. This must be, oh, this is where God's just going to start, you know, throwing lightning bolts. And he goes, no. This is the wrath of God in Romans 1. Humanity rejects God. God lets them go. He lets them go. doesn't punish them. He lets them go. Paul then goes through this and talks about how from the very beginning when God is working with Israel that it's always been about faith. It's always been about righteousness that comes from faith. And then he gets into like chapter 4 and chapter 3 and 4 and he really talks about how this is now faith in Jesus Christ. And chapter 5, he's saying, now, okay, this is what happens when you have faith in Jesus Christ. There's so much here, but I'm only going to hit three big points. First point, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Remember, Paul has just said, we're the ones who rejected God. We're the ones that created conflict with God. God didn't respond in kind. He didn't retaliate. He let us go. Peace with God says, through faith in Jesus Christ, God is no longer letting us go. He's coming after us. And he's not coming after us to punish us. He's coming after us to have a right 
relationship with us. He's coming after us from his abundant love. We have peace with God. Again, we, we, we had tried to build religion. People are still doing this today. People are still, even outside of like the you know, Christians who try to build you know, religion out of Christianity, there's people trying to build religion out of all kinds of things. People are trying to build community, but it's hard to build community when you have no absolute truth or foundation to, to build it upon. History has shown us that human attempts to try to build religion or community always end bad, and yet we're still trying to do it. There was this refusal to return to God, sins, pride. But what Paul makes clear in these chapters leading up to here, again, not the kind of, not the kind of God or the kind of faith or religion that we would make up. But what he makes clear is this. Human beings on their own cannot save themselves. Human beings on their own can, they can try to be good and they can do some good, but they cannot escape the grip of sin in their lives. It has to be dealt with. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. It is God demonstrating to us his love but he's also demonstrating to us what sin is and what, how sin must be dealt with. And we sang about it. Jesus Christ dies on the cross in our place. Sin cannot be ignored. It must be dealt with. And it's dealt with through the cross. But see, it's an incomplete gospel to think like, okay, being a Christian means... Um, I become a Christian and, and then, you know, God cleans me up and then he sets me on my way. Because we all know what's going to happen. If God cleans you up and sets you on your way, you're just going to get dirty again. The resurrection is the demonstration of this power that says, when I have true faith in Jesus Christ, this peace with God that I have, it comes from God. That same God who brought Jesus Christ back from the dead promises to give me new life. New life in Christ. Where I suddenly am now like Paul where the law is no longer an external code to me. It's written in my heart. It's who I am. But it's not because I did it. It's because Christ did it in me. And he uses this word that, you know, it's hard for us to understand. And again, we don't have time to go over it as much depth as, we'd, as I'd like. But it says we've been justified by faith. And just the short definition of justified means that God now, even though we are still imperfect, even though we still fail, that God now, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, sees you with the righteousness of Christ. Again, who would make up this kind of God? Hopeless human beings. 
A God who loves and a God who suffers and dies for his enemies. This doesn't sound like wish fulfillment. It certainly doesn't make us look good. And what kind of God is this? God's, you know, God's have always been about being powerful enough to protect you. God's have always been about being powerful enough to make sure you have all the stuff you want and need. None of that's promised here. All that's promised is through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God. Peace with God, whether peace with God is peace with God when I'm, I'm in a terrible life situation or in a great life situation. Whether it's the ups or the downs, the challenges, it doesn't matter. But see, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is when I truly have peace with God, it doesn't go away depending on what life throws at me. It doesn't go away because I'm struggling with this different challenges in my life or I've lost my job or I'm not doing as well in school or getting into the school that I wanted to get into or I'm not, you know, being able to provide or have all the things I want. It doesn't matter what life situation is. When I have peace with God, I always have peace with God. The second thing we see here, we see it down in verse 5, where he goes through this, this thing about how faith helps us. And that's an incredible study through verse three and four about how faith, faith in God, having peace with God, gives us hope, and that allows us to go through everything, even sufferings, and it's helpful. But that all flows down to verse five where he says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's happened is, yes, I have peace with God. I've been justified with God. But the reason I can go through life and all of these challenges that, that I might face in my life is because God's Spirit pours out love on us. Through true faith in Jesus Christ, we receive, when it talks about receiving the Holy Spirit, the fundamental meaning of that is you can now love in a way you could never love before. It doesn't mean I can love more than I ever have before. No, it's completely different. Everything that we do and we love, there's somehow something that's still conditional about it. It can never be truly selfless. But when God loves... And when God's love comes upon us, we now have the ability to love as only God can love. To love selflessly, to love unconditionally. It is in fact the key evidence of true faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know, have you received, are you able to love as only God can love? It doesn't mean we can do it perfectly. We can't. We're still human beings. We still struggle. But it does mean it's there. 
And when I think about God's love and how it's different from our love and how the standard for God's love is so high that it is impossible for us, I think about the cross. We read through the story of the cross on our Good Friday service. And during that time, you know, we're, we're, we're reading about Jesus hanging on the cross. And what we know Jesus does when he hangs on the cross is he forgives his enemies. But understand what he's doing there. He's forgiving his enemies while they're killing him. He's forgiving his enemies while they're spitting at him. He's, forgetting the, his, he's forgiving his enemies while they're beating him. Not after, not before, while it's going on. I know I don't have that kind of love natural to me. It's different. It's the love, the selfless, unconditional love of God that can love enemies even as they're killing him. We even see this in the text when it talks about Jesus loving us. It says, Jesus loved us when we were weak. In other words, we were helpless. We couldn't do anything to help, do anything for God. There's nothing we could do. We couldn't save ourselves, and we couldn't do anything of benefit to God. He died for us. It also tells us in verse 6, we're ungodly. In other words, we were like the opposite of what God is. If God is love, you know, we're, we're the other thing. We're hate. We're indifference. If God is humility, we're pride. God still sent Jesus to die for us. It says we're enemies. Enemies. He still sends Jesus to die for us. While we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. It's amazing. It's amazing. Whenever I think about, if I'm even slightly tempted to think that, that somehow, you know, I'm deserving of salvation. I'm reminded of, of what I think is a good summary of, of what God's standard is for us if we're going to try to do this on our own without him. If we're going to try to do this on our own, if we're going to try to be acceptable to God on our own without Jesus, without the cross, without all of that, here's what you need to do. You need to love everyone perfectly all the time. Love everyone perfectly all the time. By the way, I always give this invitation to people. If you are that person who can love everyone perfectly all the time, please come tell me after the service because I need to learn from you. You probably need to be pastor of this church. In fact, you might need to be, you know, pastor of the world. It's a high standard, an impossible standard. Who would make up this kind of religion? Who would make up a religion that says it is impossible to achieve it? Who would do this? That's not wish fulfillment. No. This is admitting my weakness, my inability, and then saying it is only through Jesus Christ that I can have any of this. 
The last point is just simply this. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have a personal relationship with God. That last bit from verses 10 and 11 uses this word reconciliation. Notice, Jesus isn't dying for sin. He's dying for us. And it's not just so we can have the removal of this problem. It's so that we can have a right relationship with God. Reconciliation means not just that people have said they're sorry, not just that we've returned to what we were before. Reconciliation means the relationship is now better. That's what the resurrection shows us. This wasn't about just cleaning the slate. This wasn't about just erasing our ledger. This was about making us new so that we can be reconciled to him, but we can now love him as only he can love. And we can love others as only he can love because he is loving through us. I, I don't, I, I always worry about starting something that I'm not going to finish, but I'm going to do it anyways. And if you want me to finish it, you come talk to me later. The world, as it is, is not going to get any better. It's, it's, this is what we do. At best, the most optimistic thing is that we just keep doing what we've been doing throughout human history. Powers come and go. They fight. Somebody beat somebody else, take over, that's what happens. At the interpersonal level, those of us who aren't involved in the big conflicts, we just have our little conflicts and we make sure we have our little piece of the world carved out and then we live and we die. And then somebody comes along and builds a parking lot over our cemetery. You know, that's what we do. It's not gonna change. If anything, it's gonna get worse because Technology has given us the ability to find more and more creative ways to kill each other. You, you give bigger weapons into the hands of people who do not have God's love, it's not going to end well. Jesus Christ is not just come to save me or save you. He came to save the world. The only hope for the world is when Jesus Christ transforms the lives of the faithful and the faithful live out the gospel in such a way that others do and God's love spreads throughout the world. Again, not the plan we would have come up with. Only God is crazy enough to think this will work. It's the gospel, is the gospel of the kingdom of God for the whole world. But let me just end here. I just want to end with you. There's some things that, that I think faith in Jesus Christ helps us. You know, I often don't talk about this because, you know, so much emphasis is on me, me, me in Christianity. But I do want to tell you that faith in Jesus Christ is not just joining some big world cause to, you know, to, to take on the problems of the world. That there is value to us at the personal level. And let me just go through this as, just quickly. 
Faith in Jesus Christ helps us understand the depth and beauty of God. And we understand the depth and beauty of his love. And when we understand the depth and beauty of God and his love, we understand the depth and beauty of God and his love in this world. We have better lives if we see the depth and beauty of God and his love all around us. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, it helps us experience true joy, not a fleeting happiness based on stuff and situation, but a true joy that comes from knowing the Father sees me as righteous, as having the righteousness of Christ, and that I have peace with God, and I have been reconciled to him. Faith in Jesus Christ helps us connect to the purpose of all existence and also to the purpose of our particular existence. And what we understand is that God's purpose for all existence is good and fulfilling. When I understand God's purpose, when I understand his love, these things carry me through the times when it things like seems like everything is going sideways. Faith in Jesus Christ helps us to have the strength to survive and even thrive when life seems overwhelming. Paul knew suffering. Paul had been beaten, had been thrown in prison, he had been falsely accused. People plotted against him to kill him. And yet, through it all, he was full of love full of faith, full of joy, full of hope. He says in one of his letters, which he writes while he's imprisoned, I've learned to be content in all situations. He says, I know the secret. The secret is Jesus Christ in me. Faith in Jesus Christ helps us love and serve beyond ourselves, not for ourselves, not because it gets us brownie points or, or earns us favor with God or makes us look good in front of our friends or, or even makes us feel better about who we are. We just love and serve to love and serve because people need to be loved and served. Life is better when we have faith in Jesus Christ, not because Jesus provides us a bunch of stuff or he changes our life situation, but because he promises that no matter how much or how little stuff we have, no matter what our life situation, he promises to be there with us, giving us love, giving us hope, giving us purpose, giving us joy, giving us strength. Not just so we can have these things, but so that he can use us to help others.